Hello, welcome to the Change the Conversation podcast. Um, I'm here. My name is Jordan Lawson. I'm here with Robbie White, Sam Hawkins, and Melinda Sparks. Um, if y'all want to say hello, everybody, we hear your voices. Hello there. Hello. <laughs> hello. There we go. All right. So we are here. Um, we're doing a series. We're calling Living with the Questions, where we're trying to, if not answer, big questions of faith, of life, at least talk about them for a while, try to get our thoughts, and hopefully offer a little bit of clarity, a little bit of insight. Um, today we are talking about eternity. We're talking about the afterlife. Um, we're talking about whether there's a angry red man with a pitchfork and cloven hooves. Um, anyway, there's a lot of, lot of imagery of that sort, um, because we're talking about a, a pretty great mystery. Um, and that's our topic for today. Does anybody have any, uh, thing they'd like to throw out? To start us with, I, I liked I liked your description, and it's one that many of us actually uh, we we thought we had all this figured out, you know, as children. What's in the Bible, you, you right? Know, the, you uh, know that what the you know there is a devil, there is a hell, and there is a heaven, and we know what the devil even looks like. Mm-hmm. He does wear the red suit with a pitchfork. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least that was that was our understanding. Uh, many of us grew up with with that image of. Of uh, of the devil and of and of and of hell. I um, I've been intrigued in recent years by what Marcus Borg <clears throat> called the uh, heaven and hell framework to Christianity. That um, and when I heard that term, I was like, okay, yeah, that that makes sense. That that is what I grew up with. Um, the idea that that's really what it's all about. That that is the um, whole reason for, for Christianity is uh, that um, a, a final destination of to the left or to the right. And um, one of the things that um, has been interesting to me in, in my later years is, uh, is discussions about, well, what does that really um, say if, if we're saying that heaven and hell are kind of equal and opposite. And maybe I should say it the other way. They're opposite, but they're equal destinations. Uh, is that really what we would believe uh, God uh, established, that that was God's intention to have this uh, kind of uh, you know, two-sided uh, reality where you're, you eventually either wind up in heaven or hell? And uh, I think that, maybe exploring some different ways of thinking about this whole framework that we, that we maybe came with and how that shapes our beliefs about many other things and our attitudes that we take through life. I think that's, that's been a enlightening thing for me. I think of Richard Rohr talking about uh, how we are hung up on dualism and it's either or it's heaven or hell. It's right or wrong. It's good, evil, um, and there's just too many things in between and outside of either that, um, that we need to t- think about and need to talk about. And, um, rather than, you know, I, I mean, I grew up with hell being the bad place where if you didn't believe in Jesus and God, that's where you went when you died. And, um, you didn't question that. That's just the way that it was. And it was a scary place. 
what is it, wailing and gnashing of teeth, whatever that means. I don't, yeah, anyway, uh, sounds scary to me. Dark, perpetually in pain, and oh, and worms. Aren't worms involved somehow? Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty scary. And as a kid, you, you're like, oh, well, I'll say anything, do anything to keep from going there. You need me to say this prayer? You got it. Said my prayer. Now I'm not going to that terrible place. Yes, I, I think I think about even the message that was conveyed of Jesus when I was growing up, and and not just in the church I was in, but I I think the message that that at least I heard was that Jesus Jesus cares more about the heaven and hell question than anything else that really that's the only reason Jesus came was so that all of us could go to heaven and we could all stay out of hell <clears throat> and overlooked the central motif of Jesus real teaching in the gospels that we have is of the kingdom mm-hmm. but even that gets co-opted because you say well it's the kingdom of heaven he talks about that mm-hmm. and typically I don't know about the rest of you but there was a season early in my life where I thought, well, the kingdom of heaven is that's the same as what we mean by heaven. <laughs> that it's yes, the kingdom of heaven. And did not realize there was the understanding of that is that it's the kingdom of God and it has to do with the rule and reign of God in the present here and now, mm-hmm. accessible that we enter into and live by. That that was not something I understood. It it, it took a while. <laughs> For me to get my mind and heart wrapped around that, mm-hmm. yeah, that and that particular um, usage in the New Testament of kingdom of heaven versus kingdom of God, um, I've I've had the experience of actually seeing, kind of in real time, when I've introduced that idea in in teaching, and um, watch it kind of throw folks. Mm-hmm. To the, whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute! What, what are you, what are you talking about here? Um, and and the way to introduce it is when Jesus talks about you know today the kingdom is is in your midst uh, because Jesus is there, and um, that that the idea that we could be talking about the kingdom of God and not be talking about a specific geographical um, in another space time dimension mm-hmm. of sorts. Um, that, that that would be what the kingdom of heaven would be. Um, it, it can't it 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 really can startle folks, and right. it does. It is one of those things that can maybe start to say, "Well, uh, if I read it that way and assumed that that's what it meant based on what I was taught, and to the point that I can't even really, I couldn't even really imagine it a, another way. Uh, maybe what else have I?" assumed or taken for granted or, or not really thought through that maybe I could go back now and, and, and rethink. Yes. Well, I, th- I think it does. It, it goes back, it sort of reframes, if you will. You mentioned the framing that Borg talks about, the heaven-hell framework of the story. It sort of reframes or refocuses the story if you understand Jesus and his, the central message that he has when you talk about the kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's a different way of, of hearing and seeing what Jesus was up to, what he had to say, and why he did certain things. I, I think it, 
I think it does refocus. Mm-hmm. Do you think this whole misunderstanding that we've had over the kingdom of heaven has to do with, and I'm just being real simplistic here because that's just how this mind works, is because of the way the parables were framed. The kingdom of heaven is like, and it was a concept that was um, a little outside the box and what people couldn't quite comprehend or follow. So our modern day preachers thought, well, obviously he's talking about something out there somewhere, not realizing, no, Jesus was actually talking about what was going on on this earth. But because they couldn't grasp, we couldn't grasp the concept of of Jesus um, like uh, the parable of the sheep, the sheep and the goats, or the some of these strange parables that's that are worded in a way that's foreign to us. We're not, you know, first century Jewish people, so it, it couldn't be talking about here and now. It had to be talking about something later and not of this world, and we totally missed the point. If I uh, can be cynical for a minute, which is the reason I'm in the room, so. Um, <laughs> Take more than a minute. (laughs) (laughs) I think that um, there is an incentive to place everything in that framework, especially if you think about the um, sort of American frontier style of worship, where the whole goal is to get people to come down the aisle at the end. And if you can, you know, dangle them on the string like Jonathan Edwards, you know, they, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God, they, they'll be weeping in the aisles and they'll, they'll come down and, and accept Jesus because they don't want to go to the, to the bad place. They want to go to the good place. And you, you've told them that if you right. say these words and do this thing, then you get to go to the good place. Um, yeah, I think you're right. The, that there's uh, kind of like as Melinda was, was, uh, saying earlier, there's not much of a better motivator to get a, um, uh, a step out taken than, than those, um, thoughts. One of the things that, um, looking back on this topic with, with some fresher eyes, I suppose, um, and, and, and I'll just <clears throat> disclose here that when I was, uh, leaving the faith, um, in my early twenties, early and mid twenties, there was a lot that I you know, had questions about, but the, um, the thing that I you know, couldn't get over was the idea that a loving God would, uh, sentence people to an eternity of conscious torment. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that became a real, um, I just can't get over this. I just can't, I can't if this is the way the sides are drawn, I don't think I can be on this team. There was some, when I look back on that now, I think, you know, there was in a way that was, that was unfortunate because, um, some of those other things that I had questions about, maybe if I had not had such a strong sense that, that this one topic of, of heaven or hell, um, was a non-negotiable part of of the faith that it was the fundamental bedrock mm-hmm. of it and that that became kind of well I've, I've either got to take it or leave it if you know that's that's so ingrained in the package of Christianity if I can't um, accept that 
you know, the eternal conscious torment model, well, then I got to be out. It's like so, this essential doctrine, right? That we've mm-hmm. made it and maybe shouldn't have. Well, and, and I think looking back at, at the, the Bible now with some different eyes, uh, one of the things that strikes me is really how little there is in the Bible about heaven and hell. Um, you know, it's to actually hear the, the notion that in the Old Testament, the Hebrews uh, didn't really believe very much in an afterlife. There's mm-hmm. only a scant reference or two. It's really not until you get to the very last book that was written, which was Daniel, that uh, you start to see something that's more what we would be familiar with, the idea of the resurrection of the dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was you know, kind of a radical idea to, to, to think that, well, you mean Moses and David, they're, Abraham, they're walking around and they're, and they're actually being willing to, to follow God even though they don't think there's the payoff of, of heaven at, at the end of that and the avoidance of hell? Um, yeah, that was kind of shocking. And, and even in the New Testament, there is more uh, about this, this uh, concept of, of an eternal destination, a continuation. But I think you can see there's, um, if, you, if you step back and, and look at it fresh, how much we fill in some of the blanks and some of the gaps on the basis of what we already have heard and have accepted. So, you know, real quick example, there's, um, there's three different words used in the New Testament uh, that have commonly been translated uh, as hell. So, so one is uh, Tartaros, which is used once in Second mm-hmm. Peter. Uh, there is uh, Hades. And then there's Gehenna. So Gehenna, uh, from that we get the idea of, wow, a pit of fire, a, a burning uh, thing burning place. Well, Gehenna was a real place outside of Jerusalem. Uh, so when Jesus is, is referring to it, he's, he's talking about a place everybody knows. It's the, the trash heap on the, mm-hmm. on the outskirts of town where things burn. And no, you, boy, life in that, if that was where you live, that really would be a bad place. Yeah. And so he, he uses that imagery to, to talk about all sorts of uh, consequences for, for how we live. Well, those other meanings of Hades and, and Tartarus, uh, those were the, the, in the ancient world, the conception of the afterlife was, uh, was very much like a thin shadowy place. You didn't, you didn't really want to go there, but if you did, it wasn't so much of a, a torment. It was just a lesser place than it was to be alive. You were just a shadow of your former self. Well, we've taken all the times that those are the are the references being used in, in the New Testament, and we filled in with that imagery of fire and torment. And you know, it's um, it's unfortunate. I consider that one of the one of the tragedies of of how Christianity has unfolded in the mm-hmm. last uh, two millennium. Very good point. So agree. Dante has probably shaped our imagination along this line yes. more than the Bible. <clears throat> That honestly, our concept of um, of hell has probably been shaped more by Dante and his work, yes, than Scripture itself, which is interesting. And the other thing I thought of, Sam, is is you know, with Gehenna being a garbage dump and Jesus talking about a place. 
Well, you know, we forget that language itself is metaphoric. It's all metaphor, every bit of it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I was sharing with Jordan earlier this week, Richard Rohr wrote something about literalism and metaphor. He said, metaphor is invariably more meaning, not less. There's more meaning to a word if you understand it's metaphoric. Nature and Mm -hmm. literalism is the lowest and least level of meaning, Mm -hmm. and we reduce down. We try. We end up reducing what could be possibly a very rich and meaningful kind of metaphor, and we want to reduce it. We want to. We want to, you know, and we don't do that just with this topic, but with a lot of a lot of the biblical topics. Yeah, I like, I like how uh, Tom Wright talks about um, some of that can be a, a an outcome of the fact that most of us in uh, the United States, in particular, only know one language. That um, folks who, like a lot of them in, in Europe, who grow up learning three or four languages, they are just more accustomed to this idea that words have a range mm-hmm. of meaning. Right, uh, they can have different, lots of different senses. Uh, we we kind of tend to want to just um, restrict it to that one sense, one meaning, and and draw a boundary around that, and and then think, well, that's the way I use it. That's the only thing it could mean. Yeah. This is uh, we go to places any for my quote from C.S. Lewis that before we started recording, I was talking about. This is one of my favorites. It's from Mere Christianity, um, and he's kind of explaining or he's giving some thoughts on some scriptural imagery and he says there's no need to be worried by facetious people who try to make the christian hope of heaven ridiculous by saying they do not want quote to spend eternity playing harps the answer (laughs) to such people is that if they cannot understand books written for grown-ups they should not talk about them he goes on to talk about some imagery and then he says people who take the symbols literally might as well think that when christ told us to be like doves he meant that we were to lay eggs (laughs) (laughs) so i like the the dry British I do, I do too. humor of it all. Um, this is, uh, I don't know whether this is worth exploring, but this is all real Protestant. <laughs> all this, uh, <laughs> all this stuff. Um, I, uh, so growing up in the Catholic church, I was given a, a, you know, there was still a lot of that, like, cause we're still living in the South. So there's still a lot of like that, you know, pitchforks and cloven hooves and, Lake of Fire and, and all that stuff. But, um, you know, we have the, uh, we, we were taught a third option from, from heaven and hell. It's, uh, I think it's one of the sticking points for a lot of, uh, a lot of evangelicals. Um, if you're about to say something heretical, we need to talk. It can't be the first time I've said something. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So, so I was brought up with this idea that it's not, you know, a, a decision, you're not sent one way, way or the other when you die, that there's a, you know, most of us are end up somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that Catholics call that place purgatory. Mm-hmm. The idea that you're have to go and be, you die in a state that's not, you know, you're not pure enough to look on the face of God or whatever imagery you want to use. And so you have to kind of go through this process of purification. And, and we're not really clear on what that means other than that, um, you know, that, probably most people would have a shot to do that after after dying. It's one of the reasons why um, there's a distinction between the way that Catholics and Protestants talk about the deceased, where um, if someone 
dies in a Baptist church, you would, you know, you, you would pray for the family and, and it's, and all of that. But in the Catholic church, you would pray for the deceased because mm-hmm. we assume that most people probably aren't, you know, going straight to, you know, not pass code and not collect $200. Um, <laughs> That they that those people need our prayers. Um, there's a whole other thing about us asking the deceased to pray for us. That I think you know that may be another topic for another day. Um, but just thought I'd throw that out there. That uh, you know it's getting real Protestant in here. And I, I, I think it's interesting <laughs> that you bring that concept up because you know I definitely was taught my whole life that that was definitely heretical and not biblical. But it's accurate. It's not. Yeah. It's not but, biblical. <laughs> but but now that I'm a little bit older and and a little have, more heretical, oh, a lot more <laughs> heretical, and uh, have different eyes too, I realize that the that the way I was taught about hell was not biblical either, and so it was like a cover of don't listen to these guys because it's not biblical. They, they're wrong. Well, what they were teaching me was just as wrong. But because they were people that I knew and loved, they had to be right Mm -hmm. without any critical thinking on my part. And that's the problem is that we don't we don't apply critical thinking. Sometimes we're not taught to really in church. We are spoon fed whatever our Sunday school teacher, our preacher or whatever tells us we're supposed to believe and um when the critical thinking skills come along, that's when you start making people very nervous. I think a a big part of the problem is that we want answers that we want somebody to be able to say, this is what this thing is like. And it's not satisfying to hear like, we don't have the language or the capacity of perception to possibly detail what this thing would be like it's the by nature it's beyond anything that we have experienced or could experience so any words that we use to describe it are going to be just sort of taking attempts at describing something that's not describable Mm -hmm. yes i think that um when as you were describing in the catholic tradition purgatory I was thinking, but it's still. See, the bookends are still there. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just you have a you have an option in between, whereas hmm. in in the tradition that I grew up in, there was no there was no other option. You you're going one or the other. You were either and, in the book or you weren't, right? That's and the primary purpose in the evangelical world it was to make sure that you and everyone you know goes to heaven. And it's even on you mm-hmm. if 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 that doesn't happen. And so that became the the driver of understanding the story. That mm-hmm. it became the way in which the story was framed entirely, so that it's all about heaven and hell and eternity. And so you know the church has always struggled across all these years, across the ages, in trying to. Uh, what's time and what's eternity and how are they related? And, and we tended to, we tended most of the time to, from the middle ages on, we tended to, we tended to emphasize more the eternal aspect of, of the, even the message of Jesus. So 
when, when Jesus himself never talked in that kind of language. Mm-hmm. Jesus talked about this present age and the age to come. But even the age to come was already breaking into this age. Mm-hmm. So there's an overlap mm-hmm. of this age and the age to come, whereas when we talk about time and eternity, I think we separate those two so that there's very little overlap in our understanding or thinking when we talk about time and eternity that, oh, well, that time is here and it's on this side. I even use that that metaphor often of a river that separates time and eternity. But they're not completely separated and they're certainly not in the message of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is a great example of, of how languages the ones we speak and the ones we don't speak really really matter so you know we all hear john three sixteen in english and so shall not perish but inherit eternal life mm-hmm. and we immediately think oh that's just me from now on my immortal soul uh, how long that you know that's that's unending uh in greek it's zoin e neon uh which is the life of the age to come which well that that can mean that maybe, but it it also can carry some different senses of um, that that new age. Okay, and I don't and I don't mean new age by what what, <laughs> right, what how it's normally been come to. I was I was going to ask. Sam, yeah, yeah. That, that's I think age. that that's when the moon is in the seventh house right, and Jupiter yeah. lines with Mars. <laughs> Not that new age, but the 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 new time, the breaking in that Jesus was was talking about that 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 was going to be a different kind of life. And, yes, and so to. Um, it was a quality, right? Yeah, and not yeah. quantitatively. It, it's more quality. Right. That mm-hmm. There's it's some, a way. Yeah, it's a way. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love uh, what what Tom Wright when he talks on this uh, subject. He he says, you know, we have to be very careful because um, the Bible does give us a web of uh, not entirely consistent metaphors and images when we when we talk about this topic and so we have to remember that they are signposts to what lies beyond they're not snapshots they're they're pointers to what we should be hoping um or fearing in some cases Uh, mm-hmm. how we should be engaging with this, thinking about this now, but that doesn't mean they're like many um, maps of, of what's beyond. And, and right. I say that, uh, you know, as somebody who, you know, I remember having the book at my house that did actually have a map of the afterlife in it. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, so to, uh, to think of this as, as more of a um, suggestive type of language that is supposed to help us engage our very limited faculties on this mysterious topic that's that's a different way to look at it 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 is a different way and i think it's helpful in in the sense that we you know it's our imagination that's missing Mm -hmm. we don't allow language of faith to seep down deep enough to engage our imagination we again going back to language and metaphor and the richness of that, and even with uh, eternity. You mean typically we're talking when you talk about eternity. Even today, people think you know, about the length of of something, 
when Jesus talks about it in the Gospels, it's more about the depth of something. Right. That that's the eternal. And so, and I don't think you have to necessarily separate them. Mm-hmm. I just think to, to overlook that is to overlook an important part of, of the Gospels themselves. And I just think leaving enough room to for the questions, but even more than that, to ponder, to leave some room for pondering, to acknowledge that there's more here. There's more. I keep thinking of the word more when you were talking a moment ago, Sam. There's just more that meets the eye. There's more going on here than any of us can fully grasp or understand. And to not only acknowledge that, but learn to be, uh, maybe to take some delight in that is helpful. So. I was just going to say, um, I think there's probably something very basic and human of needing to believe in a hell for the reason of justice. It's hard to believe that right. Hitler just gets away with it and so forth and so on. And so in some ways it's comforting to think of hell as they'll get their just desserts. They deserve it. Um, I don't know what that says th- about it. But I mean, if you, if you were affected by I something, that's right. By, by Hitler, that was your family. I totally get why you'd feel that way. It's a sense of fairness. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think there is a, um, uh, call to justice and to wanting justice that, that does, um, within us want there not to be just a, oh, I didn't matter. Right. You know, we want, we want consequences, uh, because, uh, of some sort, because we want things to have mattered. Um, but, you know, I think when we, uh, can turn that into a relishing mm-hmm. of the consequences and how bad they are. Um, you know, I, I remember when I was a kid, and boy, this should probably be an advertisement for uh, just don't ever underestimate what theological conversations kids are having, you know, because <laughs> yeah. because right. they do sit around and talk about some of these things and they've usually right. just heard, a, you know, a smattering of something. So I remember a conversation um, I had with a, with a classmate about, uh, well, what I think it probably started with with me pondering the thing of, well, if you were in heaven how would you be able to handle it? You know, there's no tears in heaven, right? So how would how would you be able to handle knowing all those loved ones of yours that had just busted hell wide open because they <laughs> yeah. hadn't walked the aisle? And, uh, you know, how, how could you be in how, how could it be heaven if you knew? Right. So obviously God must just blot them out of your memory, right? That's the only way that that would be. And... Um, and, and I said, and, you know, and of course, but for them, that would be part of their hell would be able to, you know, look up there at you in heaven. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember my classmate said, no, 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 it's the other way around. That's that's part of being in heaven is you watch the people in hell. They, <laughs> they, uh, they, they, they can't see you, but you get to watch them. Wow. And, <laughs> Did this guy grow up to be a serial killer? Uh, well, <laughs> Again, this is one of those things that that years later I stumble across like, oh, that was a very common medieval belief Mm -hmm. that one of the delights of heaven was to Mm -hmm. watch the suffering of the damned. Wow. Uh, That one we've kind of discarded in the last century or two, but that was very much a a part of of common piety. And um, 
you know, so when we look at those options of, uh, you know, and, I, and, and we're, we really want to drill down on on what exactly happens. You know, is it eternal conscious torment? Is it annihilationism? Is it a, uh, you know, is it a, a well, maybe there's just a, an infinite number of chances that are provided. Um, you know, I, I, I think we do have to, in humility, say that um, we need to be aware of um of the seriousness of our choices Mm -hmm. and um and and put that within god's hands and and trust that god's love and goodness and is somehow better than anything we can come up with but i really i think the thing that really helped me with this was reading the great divorce from c.s lewis yeah uh which um i would recommend everyone it's a it's a it's a pretty short book, real quick. Yeah, it's like 130 pages. Yeah, yeah. we'll take it on. You're going to this book um, yet? Oh, it's because because he presents an image of hell that I had never, just would have never occurred to me uh, growing up. That it's it's people are they're they're thinned out because and they're and they're separated from each other because they've insisted on having their own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's the, the quote from the book, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, or those to whom God says in the end, well, thy will be done, because you, mm-hmm. you, you refuse to, to accept right. God's will. And, and the book makes the point that, well, if, you, if it's your will, uh, you're going to find that what that results in is isolation is is separation from others and it's um something you could leave at any time you know and and another quote lewis has that the gates of hell are locked on the inside (laughs) and it's that insistence on um just doing things your way that will result in something that you will find to be hellish Mm. that's true yeah um rob bell paints a similar picture in Love wins. It's funny. I uh, it's kind of a I don't know if it's a horseshoe theory thing or what, but uh, he he paints a pretty good picture of the idea of purgatory as I understood it um, in the book. He kind of I've, it's been a while since I've read it, but it 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 kind of plays on that same idea that what we think of as what we call hell kind of comes as a re- as a result of free will if we believe that God you know makes space for us to make our own decisions that gives us the option to continue not choosing right. God and choosing the absence of God. Um, but he also paints it and similar to C.S. Lewis that there's, you know, there's always a path there if we were to decide to take it. Um, it's a, you know, he, he's a little more metaphysical, you know, and not telling story. Um, but I, it, it, that all that resonated with me, both of those stories in that sense that that, kind of speaks to the question of why would a loving God do this to people? Why would a loving God say, you know, you have to <coughs> go away. You're not welcome here. Um, that it, it kind of turns the question on its head. Well, well yeah. I know when I was a yeah. kid and I would hear the answer that, well, God uh, loves you so much that he's going to give you free will and let you make this choice. I remember thinking, 
Well, I think I'd rather not be allowed to make it. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> if, if that don't do me any, that favor, you know, right. uh, get me out of this. Yeah, we don't we we don't deserve free will. Just just go ahead and take it. <laughs> and the flip side is that we have free will, and the way we choose to use that free will is what determines whether we go to heaven or hell. And so it's freedom, it's free choice. And then it occurred to me as a teenager or so, maybe as a kid, I don't know when, okay, but what about what about all the people who live in other parts of the world and they never knew this story? What choice did they get? Mm. I mean, how is that fair? <laughs> so it's not theology, it's geography. Mm -hmm. Much better to be born in Alabama. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right here in the Bible Belt. And so it's, uh, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting how we've, how it's been navigated across the years, this topic and Mm -hmm. how certain, some of the loudest voices sound on the topic. And yet we don't have certainty. These are these are rich concepts that have serious consequences that deserve not only our best thoughts but our imagination and understanding to to live with uh, the uncertainty of it. I don't fully understand this, and and I don't know. You know, when I was a younger minister, I've told you y'all before. I at funerals, especially, people would ask me, "Do you think?" Mm. Do you think so and so? You think they? You think they're in heaven? You know they didn't go to church, but maybe they made a decision somewhere along the way. They said the prayer, that kind of thing. Maybe they're. And somewhere along the way, I finally had to just say, "Look, I'm not God. I, I'd have no idea uh, about this. I don't know." And I found that liberating when I started honestly being able to say, "You know, look, I don't know. I don't have the answer." So maybe the older I get, the more I, I, I'm more prone to say that very thing on a topic like this. There's still a lot to learn. There's a lot to think about uh, to recognize the the depth and length of, of these concepts. But uh, but to also acknowledge, I think you used the word with humility. I think I think we have to acknowledge with humility that we don't have the definitive. Uh, answer that these are concepts we have struggled with for across the ages, people of faith. <laughs> um, I'll uh, toss out a couple of questions here just to to see if I can throw you guys off enough to <laughs> get something really candid. Um, but uh, I'm reminded of something that I heard on the radio one time that has struck stuck with me. It's uh, Father Dave Dwyer, who hosts a show called Busted Halo um, on the Catholic channel on satellite radio. And uh, I was listening to this and he um, he would take questions from callers. And there was a, a caller who it was a, a relative of hers, I think, that had died in a car wreck. And she was talking to him about like, well, he was he wasn't living a good life. You know, he wasn't he had gone away from the church. He was, you know, whatever, living in sin. And she basically was like you know is he is he suffering in hell now since he was torn away and and father dave was you know basically saying like kind of the answer that you gave robbie like i don't i can't make that decision and right. and she there was some pushback and it was like well he you know openly rejected this you know and then he died he, it's too late now right 
And um, I always remember what he said, because he basically said, like, you're not going to tell me that God stops having the ability to save people, you know, because this moment in time has passed, that his Mm. saving power is, you know, not active anymore. Um, Because that's, to say that is basically to deny that there is you know, an all-powerful God, which is what we've, you know, that's what we believe. And that's always, that really changed my perspective on the whole thing because it, it did make me think like any sort of walls you put up and hoops to jump through, you know, anything you set up, like these aren't, they can't be hard and fast rules because that negates that there's a God who can intervene in these things. Um, so by questions um i'd like to start with and this can be as serious as you want it to be um if you could like if you were named president of theology of the (laughs) world um and you could strike one thing from the record related to this if you could nobody's gonna believe this thing anymore um what would that be way to go jordan yeah take your time Rob Bell has a chapter in that book, Love Wins, and he talks about this God get what he wants. Mm-hmm. Kind of like what your guy on the podcast said, or not, the radio, whatever. If it's God's will that all are saved, does he not get that? So God doesn't get what he wants? Um, makes me think of that. Um I don't, oh gosh, I think probably the way we see hell has to be up there for me. It really does. It's just done so much damage to people of, of good faith and goodwill. And um, it'd be nice if we could turn the page, turn, a, turn it around a little bit. Um, and we didn't always see it this way. And that was something else that Rob Bell did for the church as he reminded us. When that book came out, what, 10, 12, 15 years ago, that this is a new thing, kind of, because the early church fathers didn't believe this. Um, but we embraced it somewhere along the way. And that's, that's sad. It's tragic. So I would say, so I'm president of theology for the world and I get to uh, eradicate one, one belief. Yeah. Um, I would say that it's the belief that the way I, whoever I am, sees all this uh, in the Bible is necessarily uh, that way. Um, that was better than mine. Which is <laughs> no, <laughs> which and 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 I'm trying to phrase it carefully because I'm I'm not I'm not trying to. Um, I'm putting the word necessarily in there because what, what I would really hope people would do is, is circle back on this with uh, some different options and actually look at what the Bible says mm-hmm. because, um, and hopefully in, in a future podcast, we can, we can talk some uh, about, we've kind of focused on hell here today. So hopefully next time we can talk some more about heaven, but um one of my great surprises um, in life, I think, 
when it comes to the Bible is that um, what I used to think was was the the biggest one, the biggest just shock was that Revelation, the book of Revelation, had been read in a way um, that was um, that I grew up with, discovering that that was a pretty recent interpretation that that was not the way that that had been historically read throughout most of church history, that that's, that is, um, mostly an American, Mm -hmm. uh, development that, um, really, uh, doesn't have a lot of, of solid ground to stand on. Um, so I used to think that was going to be the, the topper (laughs) that I would Mm -hmm. never come across anything where we had just kind of missed it. Um, until I, I discovered the the view um, of this, the whole idea of heaven not being a a disembodied realm to which our souls float off when we die, but uh, because where does it say that in the Bible? <laughs> um, but actually being a, um, a a joining of of heaven coming down to earth. Um, that's now my now my uh, at the top of my list for boy how did we how did we miss that how did we just flip that and 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 go off in a different direction so so that's the thing that I would wish that everybody would just whatever you believe that that we would be able to take another pass at it with some different options in mind yeah speaking as a as an outsider there's this I probably mentioned this before but there's this sort of fascinating paradox of among like the more fundamentalist you get the worse it is but that everyone needs to read and interpret the bible for themselves Mm -hmm. and also there is one correct way to interpret the bible (laughs) and it's the way that i do it um which you know that that seems like a contradiction but um it seems to work for people it, well, we forget that it, the Bible can be read in isolation, but but historically, that's not been the best way to read the Bible. That Bible is read best in community mm-hmm. when you can both with humility and honesty speak and talk about concepts, images, metaphors that um that shape shape our life and so you know yeah if i i, I, I given our topic i would build on something melinda said i i think this concept of hell i would i would just go when it's when people speak in such with such certainty about not just not just hell itself but about what will land you there hmm. and when fear and guilt is used as tools to keep you out. It's not intentional, but I think in the religious world, we have placed many people in a living hell of their own because they are afraid that they will never measure up. They are, they feel guilty about their life and believe that quite honestly, God is angry and that anger will one day come to fruition in hell. Hmm. And I think we probably have overlooked the damage that we do to people psychologically, emotionally, spiritually 
by speaking with such certainty about things of which we know much of. That's true. So. I, uh, I'll, I'll frame it as a pet peeve of mine, but I think it, it kind of speaks to a failure of imagination, I think, when people think about the idea of eternity. And I think it's trying to wrap your head around the idea of a place that's or a state of being that's outside time because everything that we do is related to this concept of time but there's a particular pet peeve of mine when people will talk about heaven or someone who has died and is in heaven and it's like oh wow they're you know eating the most delicious cake and they are you know doing all of this and it uh it just seems very it seems like we could do better if we're talking about, you know, if if this is what Jesus described as paradise, if this is that, like there's, you know, and I, I think it is, again, just that idea of, you know, C.S. Lewis talks about spending eternity playing harps. Like, it's like, wouldn't you get bored um, <laughs> eventually? And I think we just, and maybe it's the need to have a definitive answer and not just say, I don't know, and there's no way I could possibly know. But that um, is a particular pet peeve of mine that I would like to, if we could stop describing what people are doing in heaven right now. Several, several years ago, Anne Graham Lotz wrote a Bible study on heaven. I never forgot this image that she shared in this Bible study, but she said that um, she was trying to explain what heaven will be like to someone. And she said, well, it'll kind of be like this. She said, I'll go back home to see my mom and dad and, my, you know, there's a bunch of us. There's a bunch of us Graham kids, and we all like different kinds of food. And she said, and when we get to the house, and my mama has cooked all day, and she's got banana pudding for Franklin. She's got chocolate cake for me or, or baked beans for somebody else. Our favorite foods are all out on the table. And she says, I think heaven will be like that. God will give us all the things that we really love in heaven. He's going to cater to us. She didn't use the word cater, but you get the point. And I remember thinking, well, geez, I can get that at Grandma Helms' house. <laughs> well, I don't need to go to heaven for that. Grandma Helms knows I don't like mayonnaise, and she's not going to make me eat something with a bunch of mayonnaise in it. Uh, God's going to top that. What's up with this? If heaven ain't a lot like Dixie, Dixie. <laughs> I don't want to go. Sing it. And there oh. you have it. And there you have it on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I can't, uh, I can't top that. We're going to have no. to, we're going to have to close with that. <laughs> and Dr- that Jordan be... may not know that was a very popular song when, when we were kids. Oh, yeah. A long yeah. time ago. A yeah. long time ago. <laughs> Well, I hope that if you were listening, this has been edifying, encouraging that, you know, I hope that the takeaway is, Robbie, what you were saying that, you know, don't let this teaching be something that's a club to beat you over the head, something to make you feel fear and shame and guilt, because that's not that's not the gospel. That's not the message that we, that's right. Um, that's not what we believe and we can do better than that. Yeah. Um, so we'll close on that today. We may pick up with, um, 
We'll see if Sam's got any more country songs um, about heaven. I'll sing um, the rest of that song next time. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think you should because I there's do, something about hell in New York City. We yeah. could do the uh, everybody wants to go to heaven, but they don't want to go right now. Um, <laughs> this is true. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you guys for speaking. Uh, we'll be back next week. Um, until then, love, serve, encourage each other, and change the conversation. All right. <laughs>